0: Good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. I will be reading Psalm 5, the fifth psalm. To the choir master for the flutes, the psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to You do I pray. O Lord, in the morning You hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for You and watch. For You are not a God who delights in wickedness, Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels, because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy, and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Blessed is the reading of God's holy and Holy Spirit inspired prayer of His servant David. O Father, let us... Feel with our fellow sinner, David. Feel appropriately this morning over this prayer and in our prayer lives. Help us grow. Help us rely upon your mercy. Help us believe the truth of who you are and thus the beauty of our salvation oh do it do it by helping me represent these words and this prayer accurately to the glory of jesus amen there is no good reason to pay attention to david's prayer That we just read here in Psalm 5. If your life is only a piece of cake, if your life is just smooth sailing with no pain and no struggles and with no enemies. So if that's you, just you can check out for about 40 minutes or so. But if you are a true Christian who lives in this present evil world filled with trials and heartache suffering and pain and enemies then this prayer is meant to be on encouragement and it's meant to be instruction on how to start your mornings. Notice this is A morning prayer. Our evening prayers. This is a morning prayer. Verse 3. Oh Yahweh in the morning. You hear my voice. In the morning. I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David wakes up. And he sets his heart. And his prayers in order. He arranges them. He prepares his mind, his thoughts, the words of what he's going to ask of God. Begin with verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Yahweh. Consider. My groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David is speaking intimately with Yahweh whom He calls my God and my King, my Sovereign, O ruler of my life. That's the way to start your day. David's prayer means That he speaks to God with words and with pain. Hear my groaning. Consider my sighing. Here, David, again, he's distraught with internal dread and anxiety. And it's hard For him to form it into into words. At least hear my groaning. So he pleads with God to understand what he's going through. Verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. And Paul knew this prayer and reflected it in Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit inter- himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So David's pain manifests itself with those desperate words in verse 2. Give attention To the sound of my cry. So what we have here is not. A a quiet. Sophisticated prayer. But it's driven by a sense of. Dread. Anxiety. Danger that David is in. And yet with all of that. David comes to prayer in the morning. Prepared. That's what he says. I want to try to show it, even though you might have an ESV. Here's the literal translation, just more woodenly, of, of, of verse 3 from the Hebrew. Oh Yahweh, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning... And here, here, here's the word. In the morning... I will set in order to you and watch expectantly. In other words, in your ESV the word they insert their sacrifice, it's not in the Hebrew text. There is just the verb meaning Set in order, or arrange in an orderly fashion. L- like in Leviticus, where, where this verb is, is used numerous times of, of the priest who would, who would set the wood in order there f- for the fire for, for the burnt offerings, or set in order the pieces of meat of the sacrifice, or every, every day set in order the showbread on the table. Same verb. So they, in Leviticus, do this verb set in order to objects that are also there. Here, in verse 3 of Psalm 5, it's just the verb and there is no direct object in the text. And that's why I and most translators think that we are to infer what is implied That the object in the context is his petitions, his his request. So the King James Version translates it this way. I will direct my prayers. Or the New American Standard Bible translates it. I will order my prayers to you. Or the NIV, I lay my request before you in the morning. And so, where the priest may be setting the morning sacrifice in order, here's David in the morning going to God, ordering his prayer. This is the opposite of mindless, non-deliberate prayer. It's a call to be orderly, to be clear in prayer. And let me just say, and if, like me, you need help, turn to Psalms. Open them up. Start praying. Some psalms that morning. In the morning, I will set in order my prayer to you. And then, when David gets to the second stanza, notice that he's not praying in the dark to some unknown. God, but he's praying with knowledge of who God is, who Yahweh is, what Yahweh has revealed about himself. And that's a lesson David is teaching all of us. Begin with verse 4. For you are not A God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. Yahweh abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So first notice, the first word there in verse 4 is for, or F-O-R. And it's key, because beginning with verse 4, working its way down through the next few verses, David is giving the reason why he's so confident in what he has said in verses 1 to 3. He's confident. Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In in the morning I I prepare Set in order my request to you. And I watch, expecting, answer. How come? Starting with verse 4, he tells you how come. He prepares his pleas. He waits expectantly. Because, that's what for means, for he knows what God is like. He knows His character. He knows that God does not delight in wickedness. And He will not put up with evil. Evil will not dwell with Him in His house. And He knows that for the boastful, for, for, for the arrogant men, they will not stand in the Lord's presence. He knows he hates them. Try quoting that. Verse five, straightforwardly, in the majority of popular evangelical churches today. It'll be a foreign God to many. I think you're off your rocker you talking about our god is a, is a mushy god of love who would never hate any human being he only hates the sin but he loves the sinner see he hates the, those those men working under Saddam Hussein two decades ago in charge of horrific tortures and don't kill them so we can torture them longer. He hates what they are doing, but oh, he loves the men doing it. As if some sin is somehow an an entity that is Distinct from the person doing it. That may be the man-centered theology of our day, but it's not biblical. It it is not the one true God of the Bible. I'm going to go with David on this. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That's why C.S. Lewis represented Jesus with the lion, Aslan, right? But is he tame? No, he's not tame, but he's good. To not hate evil, to not hate evil doers or bloodthirsty murderers means you are not good. Yahweh hates all evildoers. He abhors. He detests the bloodthirsty, deceitful men. Don't misread the text. It's right before you. It doesn't say he hates the evil done, which he does. But it says he hates the evil doer. He doesn't merely abhor bloodthirsty deeds, but bloodthirsty men. David is exalting in God's holiness. This is praiseworthy hatred. We this morning, this Sovereign Grace Fellowship, we pray together, and when we do, we don't come to some impersonal God who is indifferent to sinners, to evildoers. Yahweh, the Holy Trinity, has a certain character. And because David knows that character, he knows what God loves. And he knows what God hates. And that's what gives David confidence in his praying. David teaches us to go to God each morning with knowledge. With knowledge of His character and of who He is in His holiness. To go knowing he is for the humble. And he is against the arrogant. He hates evildoers. And that is what makes mercy possible. David was the one who confessed his sin, his evil doing, in Psalm 51. He had a context for receiving mercy. David's description of God as hating, holy hating of evil, Is the reality that makes sense of the cross of Christ. Because God on the cross reckoned and and imputed our sinful beings to be in Christ on the cross. Thus Jesus cried out, It's finished! our guilt, our sins, our judgment have been satisfied. They've been propitiated. His hatred of our sinfulness it was not ignored but it was reckoned with by pouring out His wrath upon Jesus as our substitute. Don't ever try to clean up the Scripture. If you come to Psalm 5, deal with it in its context. And let God reveal more truth to you. And so as those who are engulfed in God's grace through faith just like David was he models for us to base your petitions and your requests in prayer on knowledge. The knowledge of who God actually is. Why should we pray for evil governments to be overthrown unless you have knowledge? You know God hates oppression, unjust oppression. He hates totalitarian regimes, but if you know it, you have more confidence. To ask. David sets himself. And his prayers. In order. In verses 1 to 3. And then. He lays the foundation. God this is who you are. In verses 4 to 6. And now. He's ready. To make his request. In verses 7 to 9. He starts with God's grace to him. In verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. Now, in, in the Hebrew, the, the I is in the what we call the emphatic position. It's the emphasis. I've just said this, but I... So we're supposed to, we We got to feel what David's doing here. He just declared that God hates evildoers. So you might think, but David's, but I... I've never committed evil in my life. I, I've never sinned. That's not what he does. What he does is his I, I can enter your house being, being welcomed. I can enter your presence morning after morning only by your overflowing love. But the Hebrew has said, "Loving kindness." David does not come on the basis of his works or on what he thinks he deserves, but only by God's grace. He comes by grace, and he comes in the fear. Of the Lord. And that's the difference. Between a sinner. Who is still under God's judgment. And a sinner. Who is under God's grace. The fear of the Lord. Is the sign. But I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house, I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. The fear of the Lord that he's talking about comes from God's loving kindness. It comes from from God's Grace of new birth that opens the eyes of us sinners to the truth of God's holiness and hatred of evil and sin. And thus, it opens the eyes of our heart to see in the mirror our own sinfulness. And then there's the part three in the context of God, and our sin are either open to the mercy that is extended through Christ Jesus. And Then the daily walk with the Lord is a walk in the, in the tension of who God is. And our sin remedied And so we can say with David, I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. When we approach God like David, drawn by His grace, His loving kindness, and sobered by fear, what we have, his worship. Finally, then, David comes to his primary prayer request beginning in verse eight. First, for himself, lead me. Oh, Yahweh, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. In this world, King David has enemies who are out to get him. Who use deceit. And lies in order to get their destructive deeds done upon him. That's, read it, verse 9. For there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction, their throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue. That's his pent up groaning as he comes in this context to God in the morning. Many, many Christians today in America not all of them But many, driven by by scientific knowledge and wisdom, they find there are enemies of theirs in our society today who are threatening to, to take away their livelihoods, their ability to support their families, To strip them of their careers or their jobs. Because they won't allow a medicine to be injected into their veins. Which for many of them, dependent upon their their particular circumstances, are convinced it would be more dangerous to their health than to refrain. Many of them just scratched their heads saying, but what if I have much greater immunity from the COVID virus than all the vaccinated people? Because I've already had COVID. I'm much less likely to contract it and even pass it on to others than the vaccinated. And they listen for an answer. And they just hear crickets. Or like David's prayer, they hear lies. They hear deceit. They hear irrationality. They hear, shut up and just do as I command. So David's prayer is, and anyone in that situation's prayer ought to be every day, lead me in your righteousness. What does that mean when David says that? I, I, I think it means in the context of Psalm 5, lead me in the righteousness that you require of me in this context. Lead me in in the right way that you want me to go. He goes on to say, make your way straight before me. David knows, in other words, his susceptibility to sin. Lord. Don't let me fall into it. Much like when Yahweh became flesh, He taught us to pray, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, O Lord. And that's our lives. Like David, sometimes we're confused. Sometimes I can't see the path in front of me. I really don't know. But we can always pray, lead me in your righteousness. Because of my enemies in this world, make your way straight before me. And then, David prays to God against His enemies who are against God's anointed king. Who are against God's people. Verse 10. Make them bear their guilt. O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Then he turns to pray for God's people. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. Now. Would you feel weird, maybe even feel sinful to pray like David prayed in Psalm 10? I mean verse 10. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, get rid of them. against you. In the historical context of Psalm 5, you wouldn't have any choice but to pray it. Be- because God's answer to the petition in verse 11, <laughs> but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. In that context, his answer to that prayer depends on his answering verse 10, God's people in the original context cannot enjoy the security and the safety of verse 11 unless their enemies, in verse 10, are taken out of the way. I hope you see it. To the extent that we fellow Christians pray for fellow Christians in the borders of Afghanistan today. Lord, protect them. Bring them protection. Maybe they can live more in a, a kind of protection that we here live in. Well, be rational if you're praying that. you got to know that's not going to happen for them unless God, in His sovereign, providential actions, wipes out the Taliban. Somehow removes that group and that regime from any, any dominance over the people there. Okay, if you want to go there, that's fine too. God, save in Christ every single one of them and that will wipe it out too. But we don't know which one he will choose or a combination of it. But if you're praying for their safety in that situation, you're praying against their enemies. If you're a black church congregation in the inner city of Chicago with its horrific murder rate, then it might be appropriate to pray, God, judge their politicians. Judge these, these defund the police activists. Judge these murderous gang bangers. Judge these leftist prosecutors, remove them, and bring safety to the people of our community. Over the centuries, God has always answered, sometimes slowly, sometimes 50 years later. But He has answered verse 10 again and again. For his people. How many of his people. Cried out in 1941. Or 1943. Lord. Hitler. And his German Nazis. Need to be destroyed. They need to be. Wiped out. With violence. So that. We can rejoice in freedom. And he answered. But during this present evil age, not all of God's people experience deliverance. From temporal, evil regimes. That's why the Apostle Paul takes the eternal perspective on this for all Christians, and this is how he penned it in Second Thessalonians one six to eight. God. Considers it right or just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When, Paul, when, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Jesus. We live in this present evil world, and therefore, Christian prayer is part of our warfare. Believers are drawn to the Psalms because we yearn. We yearn for God to finally set all things right at the return of christ and we yearn that may we taste portions of it in this world and then verse 12 he ends it which drives the plea for for God to judge To judge all evildoers. Why? Because you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover, and he goes to the singular now. And he goes to the third person. Not just himself, David. You cover him with favor. As with a shield. Because of Jesus saving us sinners and transforming us safely into His protection, David ends his prayer with confidence that the Lord wraps His arms around us like like a shield in warfare. Nothing can finally hurt us. In the meantime, we war against evil powers, praying, Take them down, O Lord. And as we do, Individually, we keep praying, verse 8, for ourselves. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And he will. Let's pray. Lord, you're good and you hate evildoers. And we thank you that your justice in wrath against us evildoers was propitiated. In our great substitute, Your Son. So Father, we pray for deliverance. For those people who love You and are stuck in Afghanistan. Wipe out these evil people from control that part of the world. O Lord, may Your church in the West and in America in the times that we're in stand. May You deliver temporally again and again and again Your people. And when You choose not, would You give Your people strength and willingness to suffer for conscience sake to the glory of your holy name